Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I'm always interested in what interests you. In other words, you know, what's the stuff that we do here around Dog Nation, particularly here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, that gets a reaction from you, that gets you talking? Because ultimately, that's what we, at least for me in this role as the host of this show, that's kind of how I see myself as a little bit of a facilitator of a conversation. You know, I've never been the kind of person, hopefully anyway, who has a big enough ego to think that everybody just sort of sits with, you know, bated breath to hear what I have to say about things. Hopefully you're somewhat interested in my opinion. Otherwise, you maybe you wouldn't tune in. But, you know, this for me has always been about an ongoing conversation that Georgia football fans have together. I'm just lucky enough to be the one that speaks into the microphone and kind of facilitates that conversation. But your opinion has always mattered to me. What you think about Georgia football, things like that. That's always been kind of part of what we want to do around here, which is start a conversation, see what Georgia fans are kind of interested in and what kind of reaction you get, especially during this time of year. It has been common commonly called talking season. Now, some people use that phrase negatively as, well, we're not really playing games. We're just talking about games. And to them, that seems like a bad thing. But to us, especially if you talk for a living, uh, that seems like actually kind of a fun thing. And I think one of the ways in which we show our affection for sports in general, but in this case, college football specifically, is how we talk about it. In some cases, how we argue about it. But that passion that kind of develops in a conversation like this is just, this is what we do to pass the time. We go to the beach. We go to the pool we do a lot of things during the summer but we're kind of marking down counting down those days to the start of the upcoming season getting excited about uh, that upcoming season and we kind of pass that time by having a conversation about what our favorite team's going to look like, what the rivals are going to look like, what the rest of the landscape of the sport's going to look like. And I just like doing that this time of year. With that in mind, on Friday's show, we were really lucky in that we had David Pollock, great former Georgia Bulldog. Of course, we're going to be with David again coming up this upcoming Monday for his uh, celebrity golf tournament there, uh, which obviously supports the Pollock Family Foundation and Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and some uh, great, great causes there. But we had Pollock on the show on Friday. And we were talking about the outlook for UGA for the upcoming season, particularly on defense. Now, I don't have to tell you this, but I'm going to say this for the more, I guess, uh, less plugged in version uh, of the folks who might be tuning in today, is that Dave is one of the great defensive players, not just in the history of Georgia football, but in the history of college football in general. So what David says about the Georgia defense really matters because of how well he played as a defensive star going back to his time there at UGA. And Obviously, David recognizes the historic nature of what Georgia did defensively all along its way to winning a national championship a year ago. And I thought David offered a very realistic, very even handed appraisal of what that might mean for Georgia on defense in 2022. And some of what David said, as I mentioned a moment ago, kind of really got some Georgia fans talking. So let me let you hear Pollock from Friday. If you missed it, uh, you go back, check Friday's, uh, check out Friday's edition of the show. They're around 45-minute mark or so. We had a great 10-, 12-minute conversation with David Pollock. I think it was really good. So if you haven't yet listened to Friday's show, I hope you'll check that out. But let me give you a couple of pieces from that right now, in particular on Georgia bouncing back after having won the national championship, specifically on the defensive side of the football, this David Pollock from Friday. Uh, you're not going to be the team you were. Look at the draft, BA. Like, you lost 15 guys. Yeah. I mean, you just lost a lot of talent. You can't replace that in one year. You can't, you can't hit that in one, um, you know, recruiting class in the last couple recruiting classes, for goodness sake. It's, it's really special. But, uh, you know, the opening week against Oregon is, is going to be a tremendous challenge. And then if you look at the schedule, you're gonna, probably going to have some time where you can, you know, build some depth, you know, work on your defense. Your defense is never going to play ever at that level because it's the best front seven I've ever seen in my life covering the game or being around the game. But your defense will still be really good because of your DCs, because of Kirby, because of the recruiting. So I think that takes a step back. But I think the offense will be better than we've seen in a long time at Georgia. So you just keep doing what you're doing with the pieces that Coach has brought in place, and I think you'll be successful. So there's a certain level of like realism there that I think for some Georgia fans is almost too realistic. It was one of those things where you hear David say that you are not going to be 
the team that you were the way in which Georgia kind of defined itself last year the way in which it was led by what David calls the best front seven he's ever seen covering the sport playing the sport being a part of a great front seven himself he says you are not going to be what you were you are never going to play at that level again the historic nature of the Georgia 2021 defense uh, matching that in 2022 matching that in any year ever after this might not quite be uh, such an easy thing to do. That was David Pollock there on that. And then Pollock, in the midst of that, went into a little bit more specific detail about exactly what he thinks this means for Georgia for the upcoming season. He actually gave a little bit of a number around this, attached a number to his opinion. And once again, this is the kind of thing that kind of got Georgia fans, uh, certainly piqued their interest a bit. Here is David going into more detail about what he thinks all the departures from last year's team means for Georgia on defense for this upcoming year. Once again, David Pollitt. This defense is going to be at least 10 points a game worse than it was a year ago. Hmm. Okay. That sounds horrible, Brandon. That sounds terrible. They'll still be in the top 30 in scoring defenses in the country. Like, they're still going to be really yeah. good. But you're, but you're going from historic good, historic great. Five guys drafted in the first round. That doesn't even count in the Kobe Dean. So, I mean, you're just, you're just talking about you're going from super special to something that's going to be different. But who's your leading stat guy? You got Beal back. You got Noel Smith, who I think is your heartbeat. The best defensive player on that in the, on that, in the team is Jalen Carter to me. So he's coming back next year. So you've got a, a lot of pieces to be very successful. Yes, they're going to have to be aggressive. Yes, um, you're going to have to continue to get to the quarterback. And that's something that that group, I think, did prove they could do really, really well at a high level, which, which sets you apart from many defenses of Georgia's defensive past. But, um, again, they're going to take a significant step back, but they're still going to be really solid. So significant step back, David says, but still really solid, uh, still among the very best in the country. And as I said before, well, Georgia fans thought David's words there were really pretty interesting, and they had their own opinion about that. Uh, I looked at a story at dognation.com. Our sometimes producer, Michael Carvel, kind of wrote up some of what David said there and put those quotes in print. We put a story up on dognation.com about that, and Georgia fans had a chance to react in print to that. I want to read you a couple of statements from Georgia fans here, just kind of give you an idea of how some of the audio you just heard from David landed with Georgia fans who read about this there at dognation.com. Let me show you the first one of these on the screen here. This comes from a commenter called Street123. Uh, he says, he says, you know, really on average, Kirby Smart's uh, scoring defense is Georgia average about 16 points per game, which would rank as a top 10 defense every year. So he's, he says, when you compare this upcoming season with the same period last year, you can see that media expectations are higher for this UGA defense than they were last season. Let me pause on that for a moment. It's important to note, as uh, Street kind of says here, that for the historic way in which the Georgia team kind of finished the season and the way it'll be remembered, as Street says, that's not really what people were saying with that defense going into last season. I think he's probably right about that. He also says that last season, nobody projected Georgia to have five first-round players taking the draft. He says, the, you know, uh, that's just not really kind of what Georgia's projected to do. He says, so in fact, right now, the media expectations are far for a far more talented UGA defense this season than they expected to feel last season. I don't necessarily think that Street's necessarily wrong about that. But let me show you a couple of more here for a moment. Uh, reactions to some of the audio you just heard from David Pollock. Dog on says, I believe this year's defense will allow not what David Pollock said of 10 more points per game, but six to seven more points per game. He says, we got talented, high caliber athletes playing defense this upcoming season. Thanks to Kirby's recruiting prowess, uh, he says, doubt not. He says, go dogs and gives you GATA to go along with that. Similar sentiment being expressed by another commenter, and I'll show you this one here too. This one coming from JRMDVM1. He says, I tend to agree with David Pollock's analysis, except once again i think the increase will only be about six or seven points per game and not a full 10 points per game the way that david pollock said he says the commenter says i've got some questions about last year's defensive stats that someone uh you know that did data could probably answer uh uh you know uh, so he kind of goes on to ask some questions about that he says and uh, as was mentioned before when your defense dominates you don't need to score in the second half uh, georgia's offense came through in the fourth quarter of the national championship game while the defense shut down a very prolific offense so a uh, commenter there also kind of weighing in with the idea that georgia may give up more points per game in the upcoming season but he says not 
10 points per game, but more like six or seven points per game. Now, it's important to note, and some other commenters in that list of uh, comments that didn't have time to read, some of the other commenters who commented on the story pointed out something that even though David sees an increase in the points per game allowed by the Georgia defense for the upcoming season, as David said, that still puts you in the category of the very best defense in the country for the upcoming season. But let's just say for the sake of conversation right now, David is right. And let's say that Georgia adds or um, averages about 10 more points per game this upcoming year than it did a year ago. What if Georgia's defense last year had done the same thing? What if Georgia had given up that many more points last year than it did do you know that if that was the case that Georgia's end of season record would have almost been virtually identical that the national championship game would have still had the same result Georgia would have still won the game the orange bowl the college ball playoff would have had the same result Georgia would have still won easily Georgia lost the SEC championship game so 10 more points wouldn't have mattered there uh Georgia Tech lost 45 nothing 10 points to them would have been a gift but still a blowout same thing for uh Tennessee 10 more points wouldn't have made that game very close the Missouri game wouldn't have gotten that much closer the Florida you know final margin of victory would have been cut in half if you gave them 10 more points but still a dominant blowout Georgia win same thing for the Kentucky game 30 to 13 despite the fact that Vince Merrill the Kentucky assistant thinks they're just knocking on the door of a Georgia upset you could have given them 10 more points a year ago that still wouldn't have uh, changed the result of the game same thing for Auburn same thing for Arkansas same thing for Vanderbilt same thing for South Carolina the only game a year ago that 10 more points of the opposition would have meant the difference between winning and losing for UGA was the Clemson game at the uh, beginning of the year when uh, if you give Clemson 10 more points there that day they would have won the game Georgia did not have an offensive touchdown there that day Clemson didn't either so 10 more points would have changed that result maybe that could have been the difference between winning the national championship a year ago because obviously that out of conference loss would have uh you know certainly been a difficult thing to overcome from a perception standpoint but the point here is Georgia played 15 games last season 14 of those games would have had the exact same result even if the opposition had scored 10 more points it's an idea and it's an example of just how dominant UGA was so maybe I think the important takeaway here is 10 more points per game for Georgia defensively this year may not quite change the result of uh, games quite as much as maybe you think. We're going to talk later on the show about just how big of a favorite Georgia is in a lot of the high-profile games it's slated to play and a little more defensive, uh, I guess a little bit more opposing offensive production yielded by a defense that might not quite be as historic as it was last year. Once again, I don't know that's necessarily anything for a Georgia fan to, uh, to panic about necessarily. However, let me also say this. There is one thing that if I were to disagree with from David that I might disagree with, and it's actually not his statistical projection for Georgia for the upcoming season. Maybe he's right about that. Maybe he's wrong. That's not necessarily something I have as strong an opinion on. But there is something that David said there that I do think um, he might be wrong about. Now, listen, David knows more about this than I do, both for having, you know, being close to it as a player and all, all the other reasons. However, there is one aspect of what David said there that I might choose to humbly disagree with. The, the notion that Georgia was so historically good last season that it will never be matched again. Now, I told you this after the NFL draft, that when you – see guys like Trayvon Walker become the number one overall pick when you see guys like Jordan Davis Devontae Wyatt in so many ways totally defying their draft projections their their projections as a recruit you know what what people thought was possible for them as a football player when they worked their way into the first round when you see Georgia last year seemingly having so much fun playing as an ensemble cast getting a lot of guys paid getting a lot of guys a lot of fame making a lot of guys historically revered figures in college football that's the kind of performance that also has an attractive quality to it that great defensive players are themselves going to want to be validated by what Georgia did defensively and I've told you before that eventually I think that Georgia will have an even better defense than it had in 2021 I'm not talking about these players in 2022 that's not what I'm talking about necessarily we'll wait and find out how good they are I'm saying sometime in the future maybe it's 2023 maybe it's 2025 maybe it's 2030 I don't, I don't know but sometime in the future the level of success that Georgia 
had in 2021, the way that it redefined what it means to play defensive football and redefined how you win a national championship in a modern age that we had become convinced was totally dominated by kind of a finesse style, offensive minded, throw the ball around 100 times per game type of offense. Georgia redefined a lot of that last season. Defensive players, I believe, noticed that kind of thing. And I do truly believe that if Georgia was historically good last season, most people seem to think that it was, that's just the start of Georgia's defensive history. And eventually it's going to build something here that not just rivals what it did in 2021. I believe eventually it'll be even better because people want to be the next Trayvon Walker or the next Nicobe Dean or the next Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Lewisine, you know, fill in the blank with whoever you want to fill it in with there. Guys want that same level of validation on the defense side of the ball. Georgia's become the place where that happens. So that's the future, I believe. That's the one thing that I might, I guess, kind of uh, slightly disagree with what David said there on Friday. But his overall takeaway is this, and I think this is the part that most Georgia fans can probably kind of find common cause with. And even Kirby Smart himself has said this in a couple of the interviews that he's done over the course of the last week, that there is an identity that the Georgia team had in 2021 that won't quite be matched in 2022. Do I think that Georgia is still an elite defense, probably the best in the country for the upcoming season? I probably do statistically will it be a carbon copy of what it was in 2021 no probably not will the offense be a little bit better and does Kirby Smart feel like they may be heading that direction I believe probably so we'll have more on that before we're done on the show today there as well but ultimately it's a slightly different makeup for UGA chasing the same result undefeated regular season in the thick of the playoff conversation as you head towards December and maybe even hoisting a national championship trophy even if this is not the historically good defense in 2022 that it was in 2021 Don't kid yourself in thinking that's not a huge possibility. Greatness for Georgia can still be achieved this upcoming season, even if the recipe for that greatness looks a little bit different than it did a year ago. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Good morning to you, and thanks for being with us, no matter how you get to us today, whether you tune in 945 for first and 15 at dognation.com and on the Dog Nation app. Are you checking with us on video after that? Live, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, from the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, and we are available as a podcast wherever you find them. The Apple Player, Spotify, the Google Player, for those of you on the Android devices. We post the show at the worldfamousdognation.com. We try to make the uh, the show as available on as many different platforms as possible. We certainly appreciate you tuning in and having fun with us on all of that. And by the way, we also appreciate our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia there as well. Listen, I get to sit in a comfortable studio. I get to talk to you using all kinds of technology that I don't understand. We get a chance to deliver this show each and every day because proud partners help us do that. And I am so thankful for those who've been with us for a long time. And we are good friends, deep relationship with Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And they don't just feel that way about us. They're proud partners of UGA there as well. They love doing business with the dogs and they love doing business with folks like you who support the dogs. And that's why I am so proud to tell their story on this show each and every week. So make sure you check out my friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia for your foundation, your waterproofing issues. We've had some rain this spring, going to have more. That's just kind of the nature of this time of year. And rain, for some of you, brings a little extra anxiety because you see that water creeping in where it's not supposed to be. Basement, crawl space, garage, in some cases. Those water puddles show up, or you see those wet spots. There's an example of uh, some evidence that some water at one point in time was there where it's not quite supposed to be. Well, listen, that's where Engineered Solutions of Georgia can step in for you. Same thing for those cracks in the walls. When you see that deep down, you sort of know that's not what's supposed to be there, and you sort of have a hint, a little bit of a suspicion that might be uh, something of a of a problem. Well, Engineered Solutions of Georgia can tell you how big of a problem it is. Sometimes it's not a big fix. Sometimes it's like go to the hardware store and buy a, you know, whatever. I don't even know what. Sometimes it's a small thing like that. But if it's not, if it's something more substantial, and they'll tell you the difference, If it's something a little bit more substantial than that, you want ESOG on your side because they have two full-time engineers on staff, smart people who know how all of this kind of stuff impacts the structural integrity of your home, taking care of your most important asset from an investment standpoint, from an emotional standpoint. It's obviously really important. That's what Engineered Solutions of Georgia allows you to do. So make sure you reach out to them. Number could not be easier to remember. Simply dial 678-ESOG-NOW. That's 678-ESOG-NOW. 
that'll get you in touch with engineered solutions of georgia all right we're gonna get connor riley here in just a moment before that i want to go around the doghouse and this is one of those times in like sort of our lives as college football fans where it just sort of seems like anything is possible right i mean we have so many different kinds of news stories that, that bubble up and you know i think those of us who are fans or in my case someone who works speaking to fans on a daily basis we just sort of have to be ready for anything at all times and sometimes it's not so great news other times it actually really is very good news an example of the latter here right now yesterday on social media marcus washington jr georgia defensive back commit for the class of 2023 top 100 you know player in the country top 10 defensive back type guy this is a very big deal big time prospect for the 2023 class but now he is reclassifying to the 2022 class he had just taken an official visit to athens a little early you know kind of mid-may for an official visit for a player of that caliber but now you understand maybe why that was because uh he is now kind of moving into that class of 2022 for Georgia. Also, when you add Washington, and we talked about this last week, when you look at you know the the Slim Singletaries and the and the Dalen Everett's and the Julian Humphreys, obviously Banakai starts at the safety position. Uh, you start you know uh, now adding a Marcus Washington Jr. into all of that. That it's not crazy to say that the defensive back hall for Georgia in the class of 2022 is historically good. Uh, you know, it'd be easy for someone like me to say the greatest of all time. And, you know, frankly, I don't have every defensive back class of all time, you know, certainly committed to full memory here. But that many elite type prospects, that many five stars, that many top 100 type guys adding Washington in that discussion. Boy, you got to imagine it's in a pretty uh, historic category. You have to assume that it probably is. Obviously, a lot of folks also know that uh, Marcus's father played at UGA. So we're talking about a guy that understands the the, the value of the silver britches, the value of the uh, Georgia program all the way around. And this is a little bit of an alleviation for something that Kirby Smart was said was a concern for him, which was a, a lack of depth, just total numbers when it involves uh, defensive backs that Kirby felt like they needed more. And to bring in a guy like this, you certainly get a chance to do that. We've talked about reclassified guys before. I think there's something to be said for a defensive back reclassifying as, as opposed to like a bigger guy that's playing in the front seven or along the line of scrimmage. I think big guys against other big guys, I think a little bit of age probably helps you. Could a guy like Washington be more ready as a defensive back? I think probably so. Now, maybe that's just my own ignorance speaking there. Maybe that's not quite as easy as I'm treating it to be. But to me, the transition for a player who relies on speed and quickness is a little bit easier for a younger guy than someone who's going to rely on that size and strength. I just think it's a little bit easier to talk about a reclassified defensive back than maybe a player from another position. I'll also tell you this. I don't think George is doing this kind of thing unless they thought he had a chance to help out. In other words, you know, you know, they, they didn't bring him in a year early. I mean, Kirby Smart loves high school football. Uh, they didn't bring him in a year early. They didn't take him away from his senior year simply so he could be a project player and sit on the end of the bench and, you know, watch and learn that if they're taking this right now as a reclassified 2022 player, I think the automatic assumption you should probably have is, is that Georgia thinks this is a player capable of potentially helping them out, certainly being a factor in what we expect to be an intense competition for playing time. So this is a fascinating story. It's the kind of thing we've just kind of come to expect that, hey, A, Georgia's going to do anything it can to add talent to its roster, even at a time in which the average person's like, wait, does Georgia have 319 people on scholarship that 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 this is just kind of the way it goes that that Kirby's not looking to get below a number Kirby's looking to get full use out of the available number that he has reclassified elite talent an example of that so interesting addition here to the class of 2022 you can read more about this at the pages of dognation.com and in fact we'll keep this conversation going with Connor Riley here coming up there as well in addition to that some of the other stuff Kirby Smart actually made two different interview appearances last week I thought he said some interesting things in both of those discussions so there's actually a little bit going on here right now with Georgia football in terms of adding players to the roster but also looking ahead to the start of summer practices which will be here before you know it June also a busy time for recruiting there too so what do you say we cover all of that right now and a lot more it's a Kroger fresh take here with Connor Riley glad to have him and all of you with us in the program today
from Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Uh, good morning to Connor Riley hanging out with us here today. As I said before, kind of a lot going on with Georgia here right now, so we'll cover a lot of that with Connor here for the moment. Connor, you heard me just share a little bit of brief thoughts here on the uh, Washington thing. I'm not always in favor of reclassification, to be honest with you. I mean, there's a part of me that thinks age probably matters. And listen, I also think that high school is probably a pretty good experience that I don't think you should be in too big of a hurry to to move on from that stage of your life. You know, college is always going to be waiting for you. But, you know, listen, I don't think that George would be looking to bring uh, him in right now. They didn't think he had a chance to really help them and and be a part of a competition for playing time or, or whatever else. What did you think specifically about the addition here to the 2022 class from a guy that would really stood out as one of the top prospects in the 2023 class? Yeah, so we know Georgia's wanted to add to its defensive back room in terms of just the available bodies back there. They only had four scholarship cornerbacks with them during spring practice. And I think that did limit necessarily what they were able to do there. And so you go out, you add another top 100 overall type prospect in Marcus Washington, Jr. A guy who has been committed to Georgia for a while. I believe he was technically their first 2023 commitment. If memory serves me correctly there. And he's a guy who, again, I think, as you point out, he wouldn't be here if Georgia didn't think that he could help them in some meaningful fashion early on in his career at Georgia. Now, obviously, there's a lot of other talent coming in this summer with Julian Humphrey out of Texas and Jaheim Singletary out of Jacksonville. So I'm going to be interested to see how those four defensive backs, when I'm including Dalen Everett there as well, who's already enrolled and went through spring practice, sort of sort themselves out in that cornerback room because that's a lot of cornerbacks to bring in at one point in time. But I also think it pretty clearly shows Georgia knows they have further to go to address some of the concerns in their secondary. I wonder if Georgia feels compelled to move any of those guys to that safety position, because I do sort of think safety is the bigger issue as it stands right now with where things are with Georgia in terms of their defensive back room. But again, this this defensive backfield was so thin this spring. It was so obvious just watching them in spring practice, getting an extra body with a guy who has great size, 6'1", I think 180 pounds and, and runs, you know, in the tens in terms of hundred meter dash times. I think that's something that every team in America would sign up for to get. The fact that you're getting him at this point in the cycle seems like a positive for Georgia. Georgia now from taking defensive back in the transfer portal. The only reason I'd be compelled to say yes to the fact that they may not take a player from the transfer portal is just, I need to know more about, and we'll never get the answer to this, obviously, how are they going about counting the scholarship? Because if, you know, theoretically he blue shirts and they count him as a summer arrivee and start him on scholarship August 1st, it sort of allows Georgia to, be, to keep its sort of scholarship numbers the same. And you could still possibly add there. I would add as well that, you know, okay, let's say they do take Washington and add some more depth to the defensive backfield room. We know Georgia still, I think, wants to take a wide receiver provided the right one is in there. And so now does it come down to, all right, They've looked at who's in the transfer portal, who's become available. They think wide receiver is necessarily a bigger need than safety and felt, all right, hey, Marcus Washington's in a spot where he can come and roll early. And when I say enroll early, we obviously mean a full year early there and help us in that way and know that while we might not have the experienced player that we want to have, we know we're having a guy who's going to develop over the course of the season and possibly be ready or someone else in that room be ready by the end of the year, where I think we all know, as sort of David Pollock touched on, this defense is going to be this is the, the defense is going to be a work in progress over the course of the year and so it's okay that you don't have a ready-made player week one point for a moment last year georgia takes darian kendrick that's an all acc type guy from clemson it's an example of what georgia thought that it needed so maybe if you're a georgia fan this is great news georgia doesn't really feel like it needs an experienced darian kendrick anymore uh so therefore it's happy kind of bringing in an inexperienced talent because it's comfortable enough with everything else it has in the program or on the flip side of that maybe georgia went out and tried to find its 2022 version of darian kendrick and couldn't either that player was in the portal or georgia couldn't get him or whatever else and so therefore was 
I hate to say forced, but forced to add another talented but young player at a position where we're kind of led to believe that experience really matters. You've got the very positive assessment of this of Georgia feels like even though the numbers are small, the talent's enough that it doesn't really need the Kendrick style uh, experience. Or the flip side of that, which is they tried that. They went shopping. Shelves were barren. It was like the baby formula of, you know, of, of recruiting. And, um, you know, you know, now adding another young, inexperienced player. Which of those two sides of the coin do you think more likely to be accurate? The more positive assessment or maybe the more, uh, I guess, uh, negative assessment? I would say the more realistic assessment. If there are a Darian Kendrick type player in the transfer portal at that cornerback position, uh, Georgia, we, we, we would have known about him. We would have known who that is. It, it's not a guessing game with who that guy might have been. And the reality is, you know, Darian Kendrick was an all-SEC cornerback last year and, and showed up, you know, two interceptions in the Orange Bowl. I don't believe there was that sort of player out there, either at that cornerback position or at that safety position. And so I guess if I have to classify that as a negative, I will do so. But I think that speaks to the larger sort of – a version that maybe Kirby Smart has to the transfer portal and relying on it in terms of, hey, yeah, we know we're going to have some holes, but we know we're going to be able to fill them in the transfer portal. Because the reality is there isn't that Darian Kendrick or even, say, Tyke Smith-type player in the transfer portal right now where an all-conference player at another school, specifically a bigger school, that you feel like can come in – fit this Georgia team and help them get over the hump. The reality is that's not going to be available readily on a year in year out basis. That's why when Amarius Mims went into the portal it was such a big deal for schools like Florida state and Miami, because players of that caliber just so often don't make it in there. And so I guess I would have to say that sure it is more, I believe Georgia could not find a player of that caliber, but I think it speaks to the larger reality that there just aren't that often Darian Kendricks that enter the portal and then go on to have the success that they had at Georgia in their one season there. Let, let me give you an example of something I think is kind of interesting. So we have heard rumors of Georgia being connected to a couple of different players in the transfer portal thus far this offseason. And for the most part, it hasn't materialized into anything. But there are other players who've gone in the portal that you might think, hey, maybe that player does make some sense for Georgia. And we never heard one rumor, not one time, not from anybody on social media. And by the way, it doesn't take much to get a, a rumor on, on going on social media when it comes to a Georgia Twitter here. Like I give you an example, like Legend Cavazos, player that Georgia recruited out of high school from Ohio State. Uh, he goes in the transfer portal. You never heard one word about Georgia trying to get back involved with a player that seemingly it was kind of involved with as a high school guy, you know, uh, a, a couple of years ago, that if you wanted to have a positive assessment of that, even though Georgia is inexperienced in some cases, and even though maybe Georgia doesn't have quite the numbers that uh, maybe Kirby Smart wishes they have in terms of being able to be impactful with the guys that will be on the field, maybe there is a, a little bit of an, an assessment that, you know, that, that maybe Georgia likes its situation back there more than maybe some people think it might be it does. Yeah, and I think it goes back to trusting their development. You know, Legend Cavazos is a great example. If, if he were the guy I think Georgia or people thought he was as a recruit, he'd probably still be at Ohio State. And, and, and so if you're Georgia, why take somebody else's scrap heaps or a guy that wasn't necessarily playing there and adding him to his own depth when – You've shown, even at that cornerback position, you can develop really well there, especially across that entire defense. You've developed three-star and low four-stars like Jordan Davis and Devontae White in the first-round picks. Eric Stokes became a first-round pick. DeAndre Baker became a first-round pick through his playing time at the University of Georgia. You've shown you can develop there, so why not trust that development once again? And while, yes, you might have some growing pains early on, I think over the course of time and even the course of a, of a season – by the end of the year, I, I think all of us would agree, whoever ends up winning that other cornerback job opposite Keely Ringo, you're probably going to feel pretty good in what you have in there because between Kamari Lasseter, Nyland Green, Dalen Everett, uh, perhaps even Marcus Washington Jr., there's too much talent there and there's too much know-how on that defensive side of the ball, even now with Will Muschamp working as a co-defensive coordinator in the secondary. There's too much know-how for them not to figure it out there. And I think Georgia has now earned the benefit of the doubt to be given that leeway in terms of finding quality defensive back play, even if it might mean some instability at the beginning of the year. Do you think that Georgia will average 10 more points per game defensively the way that David Pollock said they will? Ten, it's right around there. I could see 7 to 10, and, and yeah, I went back and checked the math. Since 
2017, when Georgia really got things rolling uh, under Kirby Smart, they've only given up 20 points a game once in his in his tenure, and that was actually ironically in 2020 uh, when you had probably all that talent you had in the 2011 and uh, the 2021 team, along with the secondary in that 2020 season. So. I, I could certainly see 10 points a game. Uh, and at the same point in time, you know, going back and checking the math, all right, 10 points, they're averaging, they're giving up 20 a game. That's still a top 15 scoring defense pretty consistently over the past five, six years there. So you're still, even if that ends up being the case, if it's only seven points a game, as some people have said, that's still a top 10 scoring defense. And so, while yes, you're going to see some regression you're still also going to see probably one of the better defenses. And it would not surprise me in the least if, you know, this group is able to stay healthy, healthy over the course of the season. Come late November, December, this might be a defense that we're talking about is clearly one of the best five in the country improved week over week over the course of the season. I think if they can get through that first month of the year where they have Oregon and South Carolina away from home, I think you're going to see this defense really put things together. Now the November Matt slate Home against Tennessee at Mississippi State back-to-back. Those are tough offenses to play at that point in the year. I'm going to be really interested to see how they sort of go about attacking those defenses, those offenses because they were so unique from, I think, what Georgia is going to see more often than not. But by the end of the year, sure, Georgia might be giving up 18 points a game. But if you give me, you know, what we see on the field in the month of November, it also wouldn't surprise me if Georgia is a top five defense in the country once again. Yeah, yeah it's, it's funny. You know, Georgia top scoring defense in the country last year at 10.2 points per game. If you gave them 10 more than that, ironically, it puts you like 19th best in the country where Alabama was. You're talking about, you know, being an Alabama level defense at 10 more points per game. But this is where like small differences make a big distinction that if what you said could be true, let's say that Georgia's not giving up 10 more points per game. Let's say it's only a touchdown more per game. That puts you right there in the category of what Penn State was defensive a year ago, what Cincinnati was defensive a year ago, what Michigan, Oklahoma State, Baylor were a year ago. The Big 12 actually played better defense last year than some folks kind of realize, you know, uh, Baylor, Oklahoma State, kind of an example of that. That if you could be a touchdown worse, not 10 points worse, all of a sudden you are still in that category of what was like a top 10 level defense a year ago. And that's terrible news for Georgia's opponents. You know, if Georgia's still playing sort of top 10 nationally, you know, from a defensive perspective, then Georgia ain't going anywhere, bad grammar intentional. Georgia ain't going anywhere in in terms of the national championship conversation. But as I said before, you know, that extra field goal per game could matter. You know, 10 more points would have lost you the the, the Clemson game, whereas an extra touchdown there would have still given you a chance to maybe win that game. So, So I think there's a big difference here in, hey, it's an extra touchdown per game versus what David said of an extra 10 points per game. David may be right, but if Georgia could keep it below that number, that could really be the recipe for something pretty interesting. Right. And, I, and we've touched on this, and even David touched on it there as well. If this offense does what we think it's capable of, it might not matter a whole lot how, how significantly this defense falls off, statistically speaking, anyway. Because while, yes, you know, sure, you want people want more production out of the offense a year ago. I think it's fair to say, just given the way Georgia played so often in the second half, and you can and you can say, oh, why don't we score more points, putting up more yards, putting up more stats? I mean, preserving your guys' health proved to be pretty important come the end of the year when Alabama just wasn't healthy because they were having to score so often late in games to win comfortably. Come the end of the year, Georgia's skill players were finally healthy. And if Georgia does get that health luck, I, I don't think they're going to have a problem averaging 42 points a game this season. That's the number you've thrown out before, sort of the one you want to see Georgia hit. And so if Georgia's winning more games next year, 42-24, than say 34-10, I think Georgia's still going to be just fine and in a pretty similar spot to where they found themselves a year ago, entering the SEC championship game possibly with an unbeaten record or an 11-1 and record there. And if you're in that spot, you're very clearly in the college football playoff discussion. 
First remind you, this is our Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley here on the program here today. And of course, Kroger has got a great new opportunity for you. It's a membership opportunity. It's called Kroger Boost. Now, listen, the Kroger Boost membership program gives you a chance to take advantage of some great things that Kroger's well known for. You love the fuel points there at Kroger, the fuel savings you get because of that. How about double the fuel points as a member of Kroger Boost? Also, the idea of free grocery delivery, many more great incentives there as well. In fact, membership starts as low as $59 for the year. So find out for yourself all all the great incentives coming your way for being a member of Kroger Boost. So go to Kroger.com slash boost for more on this. That's Kroger.com slash boost. So, Connor, since you mentioned the Georgia offense, I want to talk to you about that here for a moment because Kirby Smart last week participated in two interviews. He was with Cole Kubelik on the radio program there in Birmingham before teeing off in the celebrity event. He was on the Feinbaum show, kind of connected to the same type of deal last week there, too. In both those interviews, I came away getting the sense, especially from the Kubelik interview, Kirby's pretty competent right now in his offense, I believe. And I've played the audio. I've kind of you know made my case on that. I know you've written about these quotes there yourself. I think that Kirby sounds pretty optimistic about what he brings on offense. There was one line in particular we talked about, hey, we feel like we have three or four good receivers or something along those lines where this wasn't the woe is me thing of, oh, we got to try to find somebody who can play. No, it sort of sounds like that he sees growth and development from that position group. We know that Georgia's dominated by tight ends, and Georgia's still going to be running back university and getting those guys involved. But I hear a little bit of confidence from Kirby when I hear him talking about that offense, and it's the kind of thing that I don't think fans should miss because I don't think Kirby would say it if he didn't mean it. Yeah, and I, I think to even hone in on the point you're making there, I think it's directly tied to that wide receiver position in terms of what Georgia has because the big question there as we sort of talked about, it's not talent. I believe that wide receiver room showed pretty well on G-Day that if those guys are healthy, Arian Smith is going to make plays. That, that We've never had any doubt about that. He just has not been able to get on the field to, to make plays consistently enough. I thought from expectation-wise, I don't know if a player had a better day than Kyrus Jackson did on G-Day. He looked fast. He showed a really impressive burst. And, you know, everyone says, oh, can he get back to who he was in 2020? Well, we talked about it with him afterwards. I think there's a real good chance he's even better than he was a year ago if he's able to maintain that sort of speed that he showed off there. Obviously, we all know Dominic Blaylock. If he's on the field, he has the potential to be a very important playmaker there. And even Marcus Rosemey Jack Sane, a guy who might get lost in the weeds by some, he has a very unique skill set that is going to help this offense at some point in time where Setson's just going to have to force a ball in there and Marcus is going to be able to win one of those 50-50 balls. And we mentioned those four names there. Didn't mention A.D. Mitchell. Didn't mention Lad McConkey there. So you've got at least six guys right there that if they're all healthy, that's a really solid wide receiver rotation you have there to go along with what you have at tight end, which is probably not only maybe the best tight end room in the country, maybe the best position group in the country in terms of what you have going four or five deep there. And then the running backs, I really like what Georgia has in Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh and provided they're able to stay healthy. I think there's a dynamic there that even makes them maybe a little bit better and maybe makes this offense a little bit better than it was under Zamir White and James Cook because with White and Cook, you sort of knew what to expect based on who was in there. I think with what we've seen from Milton and McIntosh, Georgia can be more versatile with both of them because their skill sets are a little bit more interchangeable. And that makes you even more unpredictable in terms of what opposing defenses are going to, to be able to, to key in on there. So if Georgia's healthy in the wide receiver room, I, I think these recent comments by Kirby Smart indicate he really likes the talent that they have surrounding Stetson Bennett in this offense. We didn't even touch on the offensive line there either. Yeah, I remember myself last year going to the Clemson game. As a fan, you know, really pretty nervous about that big game, you know, really feeling like that George was going to pull out all stops to win it. The actual game ended up being a little bit different than I thought it was going to be. But going into the game, I remember thinking, man, I want tight ends in the field. I want running backs in the field. Those are George's best position groups. In the absence of George Pickens, as many backs and as many tight ends you can get. As you said, Georgia's still going to be really deep at those positions, you know, cartoonishly deep at the tight end position, it would seem. But all of a sudden, this is not one of those things, I believe, where Georgia's playing a bunch of tight ends because it has to or playing a bunch of uh, running backs because they don't really have running, uh, you know, wide receivers that it wants to play. That Georgia may still lean into like the multiple back, multiple tight end situation. It obviously probably will. But if it wants to like showcase receivers more based on some of the stuff that Smart said last week, stuff we've played here on the program, I get the sense that Georgia thinks it can play that way now, too, which is a step forward for Georgia offensively compared to where it's been in the past. Right. And, and even going into that wide receiver room, all right, 
Arian Smith, and I'll, I'll throw C.J. Smith in there as well. Those are your speed guys. Those are the guys you're going to have. And, and Lad McConkie deserves mention there as well because I think he is, you know, I, I don't want to use the cliche deceptively fast, but he he is a, a guy who can make big plays taking the top off the defense there. Uh, you have those sort of guys who cannot operate over the middle of the field and separate from tight coverage. Uh, Kiaris Jackson, Dominic Blaylock. You have guys who can win balls on the outside and A.D. Mitchell and Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint. You have a lot of different skill sets in that wide receiver room without even getting into the running backs and the tight ends, who we know are obviously going to be an important part of this passing offense. You have a variety of players that, as pass catchers, can win in a multitude of ways. And when you have an offensive coordinator as good as what he does, as Todd Munkin is, I think that's going to make things very, very difficult for opposing teams to key in on in a way that, you know, Alabama last year with, with Mechie and Williams, you know, Williams was going to try and stretch you deep and, and Mechie was going to operate the underneath. And then when you lose one of them, I think that really impacts what you do. I think Georgia now is better positioned this year. If they lose maybe one or two guys to injury, which is just going to happen because it's the nature of a violent game of football, you're still going to be okay enough offensively because you have enough different ways to attack an opposing defense under your employment uh connor terrific stuff thank you for being here as part of our kirker fresh take here today you've had some great stuff online there dognation.com there as well i continually encourage folks to uh, read everything that you're putting out there and we will also look forward to speaking to you here on our program again very soon as well yep as always was a pleasure let's take a look around the rest of the league this is sec through yeah, so fun to think about, and we're in the midst of it. This is not, you know, we've kind of transitioned from the way too early top 25 to now they're just preseason top 25s. And the sort of, hey, crazy way out, you know, in the future somewhere, George's going to play a 2022 season to all of a sudden it's not quite so far out into the future anymore. We're halfway done with the calendar year. We are rolling into the summer. The month of June is going to be incredibly busy from a recruiting standpoint. Then after that, the 2022 season is basically here. So, how does Georgia fill in these spots? How does Georgia create its identity, its its story for the upcoming season? We are in the midst of figuring all that out right now. And a couple of different interviews last week, Smart gave you some insight on that. We played that audio for you on shows. So if you've missed some recent episodes of Dog Nation Daily, go back into the back catalog, if you will, whether it be on YouTube or on the podcast or wherever else. Go back and listen to what you miss. Really, really good stuff from Kirby laying the foundation for the 2022 Georgia team is going to be we've got some sec news to give you there as well but first let me remind you that we're cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and you should be doing the same thing yourself cruise run with royal caribbean here this summer getting on board one of those great royal caribbean cruise ships whether it's a three four nine uh type deal going to the bahamas maybe leaving out of port canaveral that's the port that we sailed out of uh, back in April, it's short drive from where I am right now in the Atlanta area, just past Orlando. It's really easy to get to. Uh, you can go on one of those. So many of those itineraries include Perfect Day Coco Cay. That's the private island right there in the Bahamas. And when people hear me talking about Royal Caribbean, that's probably the thing that people mention to me more than anything else. Either they've been, they love it, or they've heard me talk about it and they want to be a part of it there as well. There's really nothing like it that I've ever done. And uh, I, I just can't wait to be back there again. The island itself kind of divided into two areas you've got the thrill side and the chill side the thrill side is like a gigantic water park i mean it's it's really amazing it's like this oasis uh like this water park like right in the middle of the ocean tallest water slide in north america uh you've got the largest you know like wave pool type deal in the bahamas uh but there's also like the chill side there as well where you have the floating cabanas you have this you know huge freshwater pool where everybody's just kind of hanging out relaxing and, and enjoying themselves and obviously the, the beach the pristine waters i mean the quality of the water in the Bahamas just blows you away. You can see all the way to the bottom. It's it's amazing. There's great snorkeling opportunities. Just a really fun experience. So make sure you get ready to go on that yourself. Our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority can help you get booked up on that. TCAVA.com. That's the website. TCAVA.com. Or give them a call. 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. All right. Let's do some... Uh, cruiser on the sec stuff so we have the television network for alabama texas that's september 10th in austin it's going to be on fox this has led everybody to assume and i think rightly so the game is going to be as fox likes to call it their big noon kickoff it's kind of a weird thing where you know most of us kind of hate the early start certainly a lot of georgia fans feel like they've had way too many noon starts especially last year in the national championship season georgia played a ton on noon a lot of fans don't like that 
but TV audiences love it. Fox gets, and I know you don't care about like the business side of this and TV ratings, but you should know, Fox gets gigantic ratings for big noon kickoff. Their noon kickoff games, they get huge, huge television ratings for those. It's one of the reasons why ESPN's kind of reconfigured some of its stuff. Honestly, part of the reason why Georgia probably played on noon as much as it did a year ago, think about Arkansas, think about things like that, was because of how well... Uh, the the fox games are doing over there it's one of those things where fox is kind of eaten into espn's college football monopoly with uh its success with the noon kickoff so bama texas is probably going to be played there as a lot of folks were saying online yesterday it will be nine million degrees there's no doubt about that but there's also an element of this game that's a little bit different for alabama than it's been how many years in a row and i guess i didn't fully realize this till yesterday how many years in a row have we seen Alabama neutral site, week one, non-conference opponent, and they are just like just absolutely annihilating their competition? This has happened week one. It's, it's the biggest sure thing in all of sports, and you've heard me say this before. It's the biggest sure thing in all of sports, what Alabama has done to a non-conference opponent in a neutral site venue week one to start the year. Their record against the spread is infinity. They have just done that over and over again. But this year, it's not like that. This year, it's cupcake week one on a, on the road, true road game in Austin after that. Does the difference in environment make a difference for Alabama? Is this the same kind of early September, you know, you know, kind of blowout type deal we've come to expect from Alabama? Or is it something different? Because keep in mind this, while we've seen Alabama dominate the non-conference opponent week one, there's also that kind of mid-September lull that Bama has taken more than once. Remember last year at Florida? Think about how weird that is in retrospect that Bama really did not play well in Gainesville. was, in some respects, almost lucky to even win the game. Uh, that, that we've seen Alabama be great every year, week one, and then at times kind of take a little bit of a dip after that. A couple of losses to, to Ole Miss, if you want to go back 2014, 2015, some other examples of that kind of in between where they're not always great mid-September, but almost always essentially virtually perfect to begin the year so how does that track record matter going to texas here uh this year and obviously you know what's on the line for texas they just need something to be relevant they just need something to prove they're a part of the college football uh you know conversation obviously arch manning unless he has made his decision to commit prior to that the the assumption is that he's going to be watching that closely he's told some media outlets that he's curious to see what texas can do on the field after being you know not very good a year ago he's clearly uh, you know trying to to to, to get back and to, to get involved uh you know to see what you know texas can do there in that regard but this is a fascinating early season game here texas getting a chance to host a big time out of the sec prove that it's relevant and alabama in a slightly different circumstance that we've seen its big non-conference game in the past so i think that's potentially a lot of fun a couple of high profile receivers have landed in the sec here and one of these is a name that you'd seen some online chatter about regarding georgia jalen robinson former ucf wide receiver playing down there with uh, gus malzahn uh he is moving on he's going to land at ole miss this is a uh, program obviously ole miss i mean you know, they've even made the T-shirts transfer to the SIP and things like that. They've clearly built a large level of their branding around being aggressive in the transfer portal. And Jackson Dart and Zach Evans and others, an example of them succeeding in that regard. So Robinson, I guess, the latest example of that on his way to Ole Miss. And then Matt Landers, of course, you know him as former Georgia receiver after having been at, was it Toledo? Is that where, where, where Landers was? Toledo? Yeah, he was a rocket in Toledo. And now he's back playing for Sam Pittman again, uh, this time with the Arkansas saw Razorbacks there so uh so from that standpoint a couple of high profile transfer receivers landing here in the SEC and then finally let me give you this here for a moment so there is a big new proposed law in California now when I say stuff like this it's always very confusing to know what's actually going on here so this is a state law in California that's been proposed a legislator has has brought this up for discussion it's not currently law uh, but it's being discussed and proposed. I'm going to read this to you from the Los Angeles Times, obviously one of the most recognized news entities in the world. This is the headline. You think the NIL blew up college sports, the headline asks? Well, this California uh, bill is going to – actually, let me make sure I read this correctly. Well, California is going for the knockout with a new bill. 
So this is the way that the L.A. Times positions this. The new law being proposed in California would be a knockout for college sports. Now, I think some of you know I'm a little bit skeptical of some of the NIL transfer portal stuff that we're living with. And I think you would expect maybe a level of like sort of fatalistic language from someone like me who's just not quite so sure that all these new changes are good for college sports. It's important to note, this is not my language, though. This is the language of a presumably neutral observer of the L.A. Times saying that California is going for a knockout of college sports with a new bill. Let me ask you this question. Maybe you do. This is not a rhetorical question. I mean this literally. Do you want college sports to be knocked out, knocked out, eliminated? Do you want that to go away? Because that's what uh, the L.A. Times says in pretty you know, sensationalistic type language here that, that, that some folks in California want to do. Now, well, here's what the law specifically would allow for. It would allow for revenue in football, men's basketball, women's basketball to be split 50-50 between the athletic department and the players that play in those sports. And in one respect, that seems to some people probably like a good thing. I want to be fair that a lot of people believe that's probably, you know, maybe a good thing in, 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 in some regards. You know, clearly there's some thought here that the future of football is going to include some sort of payout from these very high, in many cases, billion dollar TV contracts for the players themselves. But if you don't see how a discussion like this could eventually result in all kinds of unintended consequences, then to me, you're just trying to be willfully ignorant. You forget the fact that, I mean, in the case of women's basketball, in many, many cases, there really is no true revenue to speak of. The, the sport is funded by, by football. The, you know, the, the TV contract, to the extent that it even exists, for women's basketball is kind of clustered together through ESPN with a bunch of other sports you know, there as, as well. You, know, you, can't, you can't give out the same dollars twice. Like, in other words, the, the football dollars are coming in. You can't pay the football players with that and then turn around and fund all the other sports to the same degree you've kind of funded in the past. And so this kind of thing, just at face value, would seem to be the elimination of some sports at some athletic departments or, in some cases, athletic departments in general because they either can't or just some don't want to be a part of this. So I don't know like where all of this lands and where all this is going and how a proposed law in California could eventually impact you know everything else in college athletics. But I do know this. I'm on the side of not blowing up college sports, whatever that is. I'm on the side of not blowing it up because, honestly, I see players whose lives have been changed for the better for their participation in college sports. I see people who've built a career in all of this, who've gotten better, you know, and, and, and you know, gone on to great success because of the way in which they've been filtered through college athletics, the way in which that's been, you know, a force for good in their lives. And frankly, I don't want to blow that up. Um, but some people apparently do. So we'll see how that changes in the future. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Let me get back to the subject of football here for a moment. And we talked off the top of the program about Georgia for the upcoming year. And we talked about how, listen, if you want to go back and look at Georgia a year ago, David Pollock on Friday's show suggested, hey, you know, maybe Georgia gives up 10 more points per game this year than it did a year ago. We saw the top of the program is, well, Georgia blew out you know, its opponents so much last year that actually 10 more points per game wouldn't have made that big of a difference. And if you want to start thinking about, well, how does Georgia compare, at least on paper, before the season begins to a lot of its opponents for this upcoming season, I think what you realize is, is that Georgia's actually in a pretty enviable position right now. Uh, the FanDuel online sports book, um, not available in Georgia, but available in certain states, has gotten some early look-ahead lines out there for some of Georgia's top games. And they released some lines last week. They only had the one Georgia game. They've come back with a re-release now. You've got some more Georgia games who are out there. So if you kind of wonder how Georgia looks, and these are the only games that are available. So the Mississippi State game's not out there. Um, you know, some of the higher profile Georgia games still not announced. Mississippi State may be the one you're the most interested in because that may be the one game where Georgia has a chance of being less than a 10 point favorite. But how about Georgia against Oregon? A lot of hype right now around that game in Atlanta. Oregon's a recognized brand, obviously a head coach and Dan Landing that UJ fans know well. But as we told you last week, Georgia's still expected to win easily. 16 and a half point favorite right now over the Ducks. How about Georgia in Jacksonville against Florida? 
you know, a lot of Florida fans think, ah, you know, maybe Billy Napier kind of gets that series, you know, back a little bit more even again. Well, not this year, apparently, at least according to FanDuel. Georgia stands right now as an early 17-point favorite against Florida. How about the game in which a lot of folks seem to have circled for UGA because of how much Josh Heupel has done at Tennessee, and they're supposed to be preseason top 25 type team, and, you know, obviously dangerous because of how you know, prolific the offense can be. But as it stands right now in Athens, you know, coming up this season, Georgia, 17 and a half point favorite there against the Vols. Remember last week on the show, we had uh, the audio from Vince Marrow, the Kentucky assistant who was talking about his belief that, yeah, I know we weren't quite ready for that big showdown against Georgia in 2018. We could have won the East that day, but Georgia blew us out. But man, last year, that game in Athens led, led him to believe that, that that Kentucky is just right there on the doorstep of being able to to pull an upset of UGA. Well, FanDuel, the sports book, doesn't seem to think that. On the road, despite the fact that Georgia did not cover the last time it was in Lexington, on the road, Georgia stands right now as a 16-point favorite against the Wildcats. And then Georgia also a 28-point favorite uh, against Georgia Tech for what that's worth. So no line yet for South Carolina, no line yet for Mississippi State from FanDuel. Golden Nugget and Circuit, some of those sports books in Nevada. We'll have some releases coming up on this pretty soon. But for some of the games that a lot of Georgia fans are probably more interested in than any other, Georgia stands right now as a huge favorite in almost every single one of those games. Now, listen, uh, that doesn't guarantee anything. Georgia was a big favorite almost three touchdowns a couple of years ago and lost outright to South Carolina. So essentially anything is kind of possible. But when you look at the strength that Georgia is perceived to have going into the season, this is why so many people are starting to come to the realization, I believe correctly so, Georgia has an inside track at being 12-0 and again in the regular season, being very much in the college football playoff and national championship conversation once the month, once the month of, uh, of December begins. This is a Georgia team right now very much in the thick of all of that, expected to coast through almost every regular season game that it's playing. Georgia, the reigning national champs, coming back for another year and still, for the most part, the envy of most all of college football. All right, we'll wrap up here with a couple of golden shoes. I enjoyed both of these. By the way, speaking of Georgia and its odds to win some of those regular season games, a lot of folks kind of putting their money where their mouth is, including our first golden shoe winner today. How about Greg Hendricks checking in from the uh, Ari out there in uh, Las Vegas, throwing down $20 on Georgia won the national championship at just two and a half to one odds. You talk about short odds for Georgia in the national championship right now, just two and a half to one. Uh, but nonetheless, you love the idea of Greg Hendricks saying, I'm in Las Vegas, I'm having a good time, and boom, I'm putting my money down on the dogs. That ticket cashed last year. Boy, would love to see that cash once again. So uh, good stuff from Greg there on that. Also very funny here. So we talked yesterday about the weird rumor that popped up over the weekend that Dan Mullen might be an offensive coordinator at a very small school in uh, Georgia high school. So Sundog checks in to say, I think he's got a job. Maybe he's got a job. And then it shows Lake Oconee Academy's new assistant to the offensive coordinator. Now, if you're not watching on video, you don't see this. This is kind of an amalgam here of uh, uh, Dwight Schrute and Dan Mullen. This is maybe the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. Something about the combination of Schrute and Mullen here is uh, is really, really pretty, uh, pretty horrifying, but also very funny on the part of Sundog there as well. We'll give him a golden shoe there, too. We'll also remind you, Gator Hater Updater, speaking of those lousy, stinking Gators, it's now been a long time since they've won a national championship. How about 4,000? How many days has it been? Let's say 4,000 and... Uh, quite a long time since Florida's won a national championship. Yeah, about 4,877 days and more bad news coming for the lousy, stinking Gators in Jacksonville. 165 days from right now. Georgia getting another win. We love the idea of that. We appreciate you being here for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We will see you back here again tomorrow. And on the podcast, I'm now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down where we'll take your comments here either on twitter at dog nation daily or in the comment section there at dognation.com got an interesting message from john marty who writes in to say that an unfortunate victim of what he calls the pod system and if you remember on yesterday's show we talked about the growing likelihood and this has been maybe true for the sec for quite some time but maybe now kind of true for college football across the boards across the board i guess there's just one board there's no multiple boards to be across the point is, is that you may be doing away with divisions. In the SEC, Big Ten, ACC, even the Pac-12, where divisions have been a thing and you've won your division, qualified for the conference championship game because of that. 
that in the future that's not going to be the case and you know the byproduct of this would be that the conference championship game would feature the teams with the two best records in conference play and not necessarily a a weaker team in the game simply because it won its division but in the sec you know you haven't had that many examples of like really imbalanced sec title games you've had a few over the years but for the most part you know the sec for the most part typically has a pretty strong conference title game then the sec this is a little bit more about a a level of scheduling parity that's not necessarily related to competition but related to marketing i guess for lack of a better way to say this that georgia as we've talked about we mentioned this on yesterday's show john stinchcomb and i got into this that um uh you know georgia's still not gone to college station Texas A&M has been in the SEC since 2012. It made one trip to Athens in 2019. Georgia still has not returned that trip to Kyle Field. It's really strange that in a decade of SEC play, you haven't had a home and home for Georgia and Texas A&M as of yet. That's just pretty odd. And you know, there are other scheduling anomalies like that you can bring to mind. And there are a lot of people who seem to think that really should be, you know, just should be different, should be changed. And you know, I'm not one to say that. Um, like I don't completely disagree with the idea that it'd be nice to kind of play more SEC teams more often. I don't disagree with that. However, I have said in the past that I think there is something distinctive about the SEC's divisions. That you know the ACC when it made its divisions did not use geography to define its divisions. So therefore, it's been hard for even kind of plugged in college football fans to even know who is in what division the the ACC because there's kind of this random collection to where the teams are organized in the Big Ten they have geographic divisions now but at one point in time do you remember when they had the leaders and the legends that was the name of their two divisions and that was kind of silly the SEC is kind of always had its east always had its west and at different periods of time you've had you know one division or the other that's on top the west has kind of had a good run here over the course of the last few years but in the early days of division play in the 90s it was clearly the east that was the better of the two divisions and you know these things kind of cycle around when it comes to sports so i guess i'm a little slower than some are to say yeah scrap division play as soon as you can but i certainly understand why you know teams want to say want to see more sec teams playing each other more frequently i mean there are a lot of stadiums in the sec i've not been to and you know, playing these games more frequently would give you a chance to do that. So we talked about that yesterday. And what John writes here on Twitter is that an unfortunate victim of all of this would be because he used the word pod here, but there's a chance that the SEC may go to something that's not actually pods. Um, you know, pods are almost like subdivisions within a division, but there's a chance the SEC has just permanent opponents. And there's not really any kind of like pod grouping together. But he says if that were to be the case, that either Georgia and Auburn or Georgian you should say either Georgia and Auburn or Auburn and Alabama wouldn't be able to play each other every single year anymore. He says, no way you can have all three of those teams in the same group. And he says, could there be maybe be a permanent non non pod opponent that you could play um, you know, kind of like a non conference conference game like UNC Wake. The ACC has done that. There's you know, been kind of a push to play you know that extra fbs level game power five level game every year one of the ways in which the acc satisfied that was by playing each other sometimes in non-conference situations i'd say the sec is looking at all options here and as i mentioned one of the options i believe they're looking at is a situation where you have permanent opponents but you're not necessarily in a pod because who knows what's true and not but the idea that texas and texas a&m don't want to be in the same pod you know rumor that the aggies didn't want to be there ross bjork has laughed at that and shot that down but we have said that if you put all four of those far west teams in the same pod texas texas a&m arkansas and oklahoma like that'd be a crazy pod that'd be (laughs) as pods go that's a pretty deep one so the way in which the geography doesn't quite line up and match up on, on this you know trying to find some way to to group the schedule so it's not quite these pods which would be in a lot of ways kind of uneven Uh, i think they're looking at a lot of options there on that the bottom line is is that it seems like this is probably more likely than not going to happen that we're all on guard for change and we're expecting change and it seems like the change never stops and this is just one more thing you can add to that list and does georgia's best sec rivalries do they survive does Georgia get to play Florida every year? Almost certainly we believe that's the case. Does Georgia get to play Auburn every year? I think that it should, but it's less likely that the Georgia-Auburn rivalry would survive. I think that if, if you could only guarantee one series surviving, Georgia-Florida probably the one that does. 
Uh, I'd like to see the Georgia-Auburn rivalry survive there as well because it is, after all, the Deep South's oldest. Then beyond that, interesting debate yesterday related to who would that next opponent for Georgia be? Would it be Tennessee? That's who John Stinchcomb argued for. Would it be South Carolina? That's not so much the team I argued for, but I think that respective of history and respective of how the other side of this feels, South Carolina, of all the teams in the SEC that you could play each and every year, Georgia would be the one that South Carolina would pick, maybe for a lot of reasons, but uh, just kind of important to consider that. But in the very near future, we could be hearing a whole lot more about some very big changes potentially coming to the SEC scheduling model. So interesting comment there on Twitter. Thanks for being here for our podcast, School Down Here Today. Appreciate your input. Always like your thoughts on Georgia football, including some of the comments that I read earlier in the show today there as well. So hope you have a great day and make sure you check out RS Andrews online for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing and electric needs if your water heater goes out in many cases rs andrews can replace it for you the same day you just need to find them online at rsandrews.com have a great day we will see you tomorrow Uh, dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia we'll look forward to talking to you then